Hello, welcome to Subderbs Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I'm your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Avengers Endgame. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. It's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games, though we've been talking about just a freaking ton of movies recently, I feel like. Yeah. Um, there's just been a ton of stuff coming out, I guess. And that's not really going to abate anytime soon. I guess we're just, like, in the throes of, you know, like, summer blockbuster rush, I guess. Yeah. Um, Even though it's not quite summer yet. So Avengers Endgame came out, uh, and it is blowing up the box office. It's, like, going to probably reach a billion dollars worldwide over the course of the weekend. Everyone's basically predicting that it's going to dethrone Avatar as the highest grossing movie of all time. And it is certainly going to uh, make just, like, a giant crater on, you know, like, in terms of the pop culture consciousness. So, insofar as we have, you know, one drop in the puddle of the ocean of the pop culture consciousness, I guess we kind of have to talk about Avengers Endgame. Um and normally we would put a spoiler warning, we would give some impressions and put a spoiler warning, but that spoiler warning seems to be, like, insanely important for people, such that, like, I've heard from a lot of my friends that they don't even want impressions. They don't want me to say, like, it was good. They just want to go in completely, you know, unadulterated. Have you heard anything along those kinds of lines? Not not, not that intense. Um, although I do think, um, how do I want to put this? I think... The the official promotional material was good at not being spoilery. Sometimes trailers can be very spoiler spoilery, mm-hmm. and it seemed yeah, like maybe these the trailers were going to be spoilery, and they're not. So, although that's kind of spoilery, but whatever. I uh, if you don't want to hear anything about the movie, then you shouldn't have clicked on a podcast called Avengers Endgame. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the the spoiler discussion around Endgame is kind of fascinating because, like, I kind of have this weird love-hate relationship with spoilers. Like, on one hand, I think, you know, there is nothing about, a f- like, a first impression gut reaction that should, you know, that should, like, trump anything else, right? Like, media is about a lot more than just, like, my initial impressions coming out of it and my ability to kind of be fooled by, like, what goes on in the movie. And, in fact, I actually sort of think that that works against, you know, like, that works against movies sometimes, where, like, if things are well-hidden and not spoiled, I am more likely to forgive a movie its faults because it surprises me in the moment, and then I come back and revisit it and kind of go, like... Wow, that was not... You know, like, this is like the Force Awakens kind of phenomenon, mm. right? Where my my initial impressions, I was like, oh, like, wow, that's, like, pretty good. But really, at the end of the day, part of that was just me reacting to kind of, like, the immediate spoiler-free thing. And, um, and once I had some real time to kind of, like, dig into this movie and what I really thought about it and everything else, all of a sudden, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, like, impact plummeted in my, in my brain, are you saying um, that about this movie, or are you saying that about... No, I, I'm just saying about that. that. That is a thing that happens right. with spoilers. Like, in some senses, I think protecting spoilers protects bad movies from being bad, in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, but that's... Uh, I, don't, I don't think that that's particularly... I'd, I'd rather, like, take that cost than be spoiled for a movie, right? Mm. Like, it's not like... 
Like, yes, it might elevate a bad movie, but it's not like they denigrate a good movie. So at that point, I'm, I, you know, I'd rather. Yeah, and on the other end of things, I've definitely had it where a uh, spoiler, like uh, being spoiler free, really like worked for me, and I I treasure that. Right, like the best example I can think of is with like a lot of the World of Warcraft story content gets data mined. And for a long time, I was the kind of person who would, like, obsessively pore over data-mined text or whatever um, in order to, like, learn what, you know, like, what is coming months down the line. And I ended up kind of stopping doing that, mostly just because I was, like, focused on other things, and recently got to play through a whole set of quests that I hadn't seen, essentially, and it was really remarkable how well and effective those things were when I wasn't spoiled for those for them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is a little bit of the problem that I was talking about when everybody was kind of kvetching on, uh, like, the, the 8.1, like, Night Elf stuff, right? Like, we were, all, we were all getting into huge arguments about what was essentially unfinished product and once you got the once you got like that final stuff with all of the context it was basically fine um maybe that's a little bit different though since it is it's not quite like i mean it's like reading a script or something like right. that right like the incomplete project um who knows yeah well um in terms of spoilers i do think it's better to go into this movie unspoiled um just because it's but what it is and what I don't think it's pretending not to be is, mm. if I said that right, is, is it's basically like three hours of fan service. And I mean that in a good way. Um, and I think a lot Allowing of, yourself to be surprised by that, yeah. I feel like, is, is, is valuable. Yep. Uh, it's, it's like part of the joy of the movie is like is, – is kind of wallowing in that. <laughs> um, but, you know – but before we get to the, I guess, the, the official spoiler wall, for people who do want first impressions, uh, what were yours? Um, my, man, it's tough. This is, this is like, tough, because I feel bad, in a certain sense, saying this sort of thing. Though I actually kind of feel like the, the I, I saw a tweet along these lines that was like, Avengers Endgame is kind of like getting a new, like, puppy, where it bites up your shoes and it shits all over the place but it's also like really cute and it just wants you to love it and like at the end of the day that's kind of what matters i feel like this movie is like really messy and really sloppy um and in like and in a in a true critical sense i would say that it's like not a very you know like quote unquote not a very good movie but the thing is is that like i feel like when i take it in a in a wider context of the marvel cinematic universe it just it kind of is doing the it's paying everything off that has been well set up and well invested in the first place for a lot of people and so i think most folks are going to be in love with the new puppy and they're not going to really mind about the poop everywhere. Does that make sense? I, I, I get that. Um, I definitely, like it's, it's definitely an event, right? Like while I was sitting there, I was thinking to myself, is this like what return of the Jedi felt like, you know, all, like, yeah, yeah. That's a great comparison to be honest with you. <laughs> right. Like, um, it's, you know, like if the, the stuff that came before it, it's, you know, I, I, 
have been feeling this way about Game of Thrones, right, from, like, a spoiler-free way to kind of, like, talk about this. Something that I had internalized over the course of my conversations about Game of Thrones was, like, the decline in the later seasons that a lot of people were kind of complaining about. But I found myself insanely hyped for season eight anyway, and when I did a rewatch of the series, I was kind of surprised how much I just... It's not that I didn't... It's not that I didn't know that it wasn't quite as good in, like, the back half, but it just kind of didn't matter, right? And I, all of a sudden, I just wasn't having a conversation in my head about, ooh, is this quality television? I was just kind of there to pay off, right, like, the emotional investments that I had made in the world and the story and the characters. And even if everything about it was sloppy and crazy and weird, I was just on board because that investment was so strong. And I feel like I feel like Endgame will be the exact same way for a lot of people, right? Like, I could go through, I think, and point out all of the logical plot inconsistencies or the character moments that don't quite work or X or Y or Z, right? Like, we could do, like, a traditional rundown of what makes this movie good, what makes this movie bad. But in a way, I sort of think that's beside the point, right? At the end of the day, the point is going to be Everybody wants to throw a party for, right, like, the final big blowout Avengers movie for this line of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that party's pretty fun. Yeah, and, and I, I think kind of along that an important point is that you need to kind of be invested in the movies, right? Like this comes <laughs> Oh, up as, absolutely, yeah. Uh, but my dad asked me what I thought of the movie and if maybe him and my mom should go see it, and they've seen, like, three or four of the Marvel movies. And so the answer to that mm -hmm. question is no. You have, well, yeah. you have... <laughs> That's very true. I very much feel that. Like I had a similar conversation with my mom because she hasn't seen, she's seen a couple of these Marvel movies. Right. Um, and, uh, and she just, and she saw Aquaman and really loved Aquaman. Uh, and she was like, Oh, like, should I go see Avengers Endgame? And I was like, what is the point, man? Like, yeah. I, you, I just, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get anything out of it. Yeah, the the, the, uh, yeah, we're, we're, the yeah, that gets about ventures to into spoilers, but I, I I think we can kind of leave it at if you're an, if you're an MCU fan, go see it. I don't know why you haven't seen it yet, or why you're waiting for us to tell you to, but go see it. Um, uh, if you're not, give it a pass or watch all of the other Marvel movies first, I guess, which would seem to be annoying at least yeah and even then i i feel like you don't quite understand in a way um this is uh, this is also similar to game of thrones i think for me where it's like watching it all back to back now doesn't give you quite the same feeling as like spreading it out over years like there's something incredibly poignant about having years between seasons right and like you don't just get to load up you don't just get to hop from episode season 5 episode 10 to season 6 episode 1 you have to wait a year between that and that time right in the same way right like the time between civil war and now the time between iron man and now that really does kind of create a heightening effect um that that really does make it work in in a new and different way i don't know that's that's cool i guess i would say no, I, I, I would definitely agree there. Like, the promotional spots that were, like, black and white scenes from the early movies definitely hit me in the right way. 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, I still think you could get get stuff out of it if you went and did that. Uh, I just, you know, I just question whether it would be worth. I don't know. It's probably at least forty eight hours worth of movie to watch. Uh, yeah, I also think that if you are someone who doesn't do the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right, like you would watch you would watch this movie and you'd say that was awful, right? Because, like, not only do you not have that kind of required investment, um, but, like, the required investment is absolutely necessary to, like, keep track and understand so much of the film. This is also a problem, obviously, in, like, Infinity War um, that we had talked about in the past, but it's definitely, like, heightened to the nth degree in Endgame. Yeah, I, I think I buy that. But I, I think that's a good a good place to kind of put the marker. This is your, Okay, yeah. This is your official spoilers. spoilers. Warning, if you, like I said, if you were looking to, to, to get our approval before you w- went and watched Infinity War, you have it. Not Infinity War, Endgame. You have it. Go watch it. Otherwise, we're just going to talk about, I guess, the plot and whatever. Um, and I think to lead that off, I do want to say that I think this movie is filled with the, what you usually call, like, uh, like, like uh, nitpicky problems. This is, like, you could probably make a four-hour video that is, like, everything wrong with Avengers Endgame. Um, yeah, because absolutely. it's got a lot of like normal problems and then it has time travel and I don't think any movie really does time travel great or consistently, but this movie does it like worse than most, I think. Mm-hmm. And they go out of their way to lampshade it, right? To be like, it, like, you know, this isn't Back to the Future 2 and I guess spoilers again, but spoilers, it is mostly Back to the Future 2 rules, um, just without kind of like the... Pre, you know, like the the, the causal problems, um, uh, and uh, and it also doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I mean, I I had a very brief conversation with someone where they posed the question: Does it really matter that the plot makes sense in a time travel movie? With the kind of implicit, like the implicit argument is that it is impossible to make a logical time travel movie, right? So can you really do plot hole things on a, on a film like Avengers Endgame um, that is a time travel movie? So, so um, I, I, I think I, the answer is yes, because there are good, there's good time travel and bad time travel. Um, and I also think that the problems with Avengers run deeper than just, like, the plot logic of the time doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so so I, I, I was going to say, I don't think, I think you can make a logical time travel movie. It's just hard. Um, and uh, the other thing, too, is, is this, as much as this has time travel as a central component, it's not really a time travel movie. It's, like, part, a heist. It's, it's like a Marvel movie with time travel elements, if that makes sense, right? So it doesn't... Really? It, I feel like it's solidly a time travel movie. I, I don't think it, like... I don't think it, it really actually, like, swirls around the time... Like, the time travel mechanics are not central to... Uh, like, they're not central in importance, just kind of like a, a mechanism for getting the plot done, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, and that's that's all to say, like, you know, in my big superhero movie, I am not super worried about how consistent the timelines are. Um, mm. uh, this, uh, the, uh, the Red Letter Media guys posted their, their Avengers Endgame thing this morning. And they posted, and they, they inserted a clip from Austin Powers, which is essentially, like, where Austin Powers is like, 
well, how does this, you know, but the timelines, and then his boss says, I suggest you just relax and enjoy it. And say, that goes for you too and looks at the camera. I feel like that's kind of like the the attitude I'm going into that with. Um, I will probably like I could probably drive myself crazy with trying to understand how any of this makes any remote remote amount of sense time travel wise, but I'm I'm okay to let sleeping dogs lie there mostly. Yeah, and I, and I think that getting hung up on the time travel stuff is a mask for a real you know like I think this movie has problems sure. that are bigger than just you know time like the the time travel bullshit right like you could you could forgive every piece of kind of like time travel related wonkery um and still i think find a lot to complain about i'm still really reticent to complain about it. i feel like i'm such like a fucking party pooper um because i did have you know like it did the movie worked for me i cried um but i just kind of feel i like in a certain sense i knew i was going to come into this podcast and so i was like there's a part of me that's just not allowed to turn my brain off. Right. right? No, absolutely. And, yeah. And yeah. I have to, you know, and I have to be, cause I was sitting there like, you know, there was, I was, I was like two people sitting there. Part of me was like, Oh, what a cool callback to this moment from this movie. I've seen all of the Marvel movies multiple times. Every single one I've watched at least three times. I want to say, right? Like maybe even more, some of them, dozens of times right so all of the the little callbacks i got every single one of them and there was a part of me that was like oh like what a cool neat callback but i couldn't silence the voice in myself that was like all of this has absolutely no tension right you know and it you know infinity war i have problems with infinity war but it set its stakes and it had a lot of tension right and that's a part of why the snap or whatever, like, worked so well. But I feel like if I were to actually kind of, like, sit down and explain the plot of this movie to, like, my screenwriting professor, he would be redlining everything because it's just, like, making, you know, like, really core story mistakes all the time. Well, well, why don't you go into a couple of those then? Okay, so my big... So here's, here's my big one. Here's the one that I think is actually the number one worst story mistake which is time travel thanos um this is a this is not an artifact of time travel plot logic but it is an artifact of time travel in the sense that like the thanos that shows up at the end of the film with his huge army and the black order and you know they're fighting at the avengers hq and he bombs avengers hq or whatever that thanos has effectively very little interaction with the avengers right we know that he sent loki to the event to or to get like what it was the tesseract we know that he sent loki to get the tesseract so like there is you know like there is a little like back and forth or whatever um but killing the thanos that does the snap in the beginning of the movie right and replacing him with a thanos from four years ago before all of this stuff with the snap like the movie wants you to think these two characters are the exact same, but you have an emotional investment in one and not the other, if that makes sense, right? Like, so so I, I've heard this criticism a couple of times, but I, like, I I personally had no problem, like, just being like, it's, you know, it's, it's six of one Thanos, one dozen of another, um, or half dozen of another. That's, yeah, that's I mean, it's, it's, you know, like, I don't want to, this is going to sound mean in a way, but I feel like that's kind of the sleight of hand the movie is using to try and trick you, right? Sure. The movie wants those two Thanoses to be 
right effectively the same what's the difference who cares kind of thing sure um, no ab- but absolutely but, and, and yeah i just think it was successful at it right like uh, yeah i don't know see i just think it wasn't right like and okay. i couldn't help but think that especially because thanos was so clearly this is i think this is the part that kills me the part where he says you know i should have realized that you'll never accept the new way of things right and that i have to undo everything and start it all from over this that is clearly an evolution of thanos infinity war thanos right in his kind of like ideology right but 2014 thanos didn't do any of the infinity war stuff even if he planned to so that just like that just felt unearned i i guess is what i would say right like this is not the thanos that we spent a whole movie watching kind of earn that victory only to realize that the Avengers are just going to use time travel shenanigans to undo what he did. Right. So he's kind of reacting in the way that, that infinity war Thanos would react, even though he doesn't have the same kind of character basis to act that way. He's making a lot of assumptions about how things would or could work out. And then sort of like jumping to the conclusion that, the movie needs to be jumped to so that you can just kind of sub one Thanos in for the other. Does that make sense? Uh, and I, I guess the know. movie just didn't like, I don't know. I, that, that just didn't, didn't work for me. I, so it just felt so unearned. No, I, I, I get that. But I think there's an argument to be made that like, you know, the character of Thanos has been planning on doing this thing for a long time. Right. And like, I think I can make a pretty strong argument. The reason that this Thanos is willing to destroy the entire universe and build it up from molecules is because he didn't have to go through kind of the pain of killing uh, Gamora. Um, and so, like, that, like, makes him a colder character. I also think that that's a little bit of a reach, but I think I could make that yeah, argument. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, and so and so that's the kind of stuff. And, and part of, and I, and I want to wash over all of this just because, like, the big fight is a big blowout fight, right? Like, the movie is really action-light, which also sort of bothered me in a way because I really like the action in these movies. I think the Russo brothers, you know, for all of the stuff that I complain about in Infinity War, Infinity War is a legitimately good action movie because the action is shot really well. Um, and I was so surprised that, like, like, the first hour and a half, there was basically no action in the whole movie. Um I feel so, like, so, like th- that's because they were saving all of their their Avengers bucks for that end fight scene. Yeah, which was, and, that, and, that end, was crazy. and that end fight scene from uh, an action perspective, I don't think it works quite as well. Um, there's some stuff with kind of like the geography, and I specifically thought that the fight scene um, with the three, the big three, Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America versus Thanos was not shot particularly well. It was shot okay, um, but it was kind of shot like a generic Marvel movie, which I did not, which doesn't... I, you know, it, it's it's not the same kind of quality that we got from, like, you know, the Avengers versus Thanos on Titan or the Avengers versus Thanos on Earth, right? I um, guess that's fair. But uh, it still was a big, like, blowout and everybody – and they did, you know, like, the cool thing where, like, everybody got to – you know, if you had a character that you love in the Avengers – they got a cool moment, and they got some really awesome fan service, right? Some, like, some fan service that was just, like, insanely, you know, like, so... It's not not even, like, fan fiction-y, because that's even, like, putting it in a worse way. But just, like, it is the height of 
fan service of like the cool things that you talk about your friends like wouldn't it be awesome if right like, yeah, uh, yeah in the in the in the you know like in the cafeteria or something kind of like that um all of that stuff happened it feels like um which is you know that's neat and that works like gangbusters right and i think a lot of that and and that does a lot to kind of like paper mache over right like the ooh they're kind of pulling a bait and switch with this thanos and his motivations and woof right yeah uh, the no, other big I, I one was thor i just was like jesus christ how many fucking times can thor be irresponsible and learn to be fucking like responsible again right we've done this three times now uh you know how, how do you feel about that, fat thor I, th- I mean i think fat thor is fine um in a like i i just the thing I would have liked to see from Thor is him ruling Asgard as a, you know, like, as a legitimate king that doesn't want to, like, fight anymore, if that makes sense. Um, and so the, the the part that bothered me about Fat Thor is, like, the, you know, the he's let himself go because he's, like, depressed and he has PTSD about Thanos and so he's just, like, lounging around playing video games and getting drunk all the time or whatever. If it was a version of things where it's like, you know what, Thor is not working out and eating bountiful feasts all the time because, you know, he's hanging out with his bros in Asgard, in New Asgard, and they're not fucking, right, like, you know, and they're not going off to war with Frost Giants or, you know... Uh, evil gods all the time anymore like i feel like that would have been kind of nicer um i don't know part of it but this is this is a little bit of like i'm a thor fan and so i feel like thor getting relegated to this status and also like in played in a pretty comic reliefy sort of way um just sort of like bugged me and i think it probably bugged me more because i am a fan of thor um than if you know yeah, I, if I'm just kind of like a normal watcher of the movies. Uh, again, to call back to the Red Letter Media review, they said that, they, that somebody, it, you know, they discovered that Crimson Hemsworth is funny, and so they decided to make him the funny man. Um, yeah, and I think you can make him the funny. In fact, to be honest with you, I think you should make him the funny guy without. This happens in the Thor com, or I'm sorry, in the Avengers comics, where Thor is kind of like the he's kind of like the joke teller funny guy but he's not like sad and depressed or whatever right he just has like an entirely different worldview and priorities so right like he gets into a thor gets into a big blowout fight with the hulk right and he goes that was awesome because thor is a god who thinks fighting is fun and cool Right, and so the like that's the kind of joke that he that he gives, and those these are the kind of jokes that you see, for instance, in like Age of Ultron. There's a joke where, um, you know, the Hulk rampages through that Hydra base, and he's talking about like the people he's hurt, and Thor says, you know, they're all like, oh, the the Hulk's victims are in Valhalla. Oh, uh, well, with, with, with bruises and black eyes, you know what I mean? Uh, and it's because, yeah, like, to Thor, killing a bunch of dudes in battle is awesome and Viking and cool. And to Hulk, it is a point of deep shame and regret and the, you know, like, and the tension between those two things is funny. So you don't have to have Thor be, like, a sad sack, uh, in order to make him be funny, and I just wish that he wasn't a sad sack, even if he was still him being fat. I don't really care about either way. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it. I thought it worked. 
I don't, I didn't, I didn't care all that much, but I am I am not as much a Thor fan. I um, will say that I am so glad that Chris Hemsworth still wants to be Thor, and he is apparently getting added to the Guardians of the, the Galaxy, Galaxy team. Yeah. What an awesome idea. Like, I mean, I said this in our Infinity War podcast, but I could watch Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy all day long. And it's very nice that Kevin Feige listened to my podcast and was like, you know what? This one's for you, buddy. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. We did it. 1,000%. What fucking happened? <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, no, that, that should definitely. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um,. Uh, I'm, I, you know, I guess we'll see him in Guardians 3, which will be fun. Uh, and, uh, so, so kind of on that note, they've managed to retire, I think, all of the original Avengers in various and sundry ways, except for, like, out, out of kind of, like, the Earth Yeah, continuity. so we have, we have known this out, out outside of the context of Infinity War for a long time because we knew Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. wanted to end, right? And that this was their final, like, contracted appearance sort of thing. So we knew they were getting their send-off. I'm a little surprised about Mark Ruffalo, um, who seems to be done with the Hulk because, like, the Hulk is... Like, the Hulk's hand is all fucked up or whatever. Um, I feel like if I was Mark Ruffalo, I'd just want to keep cashing Avengers paychecks all day. But, yeah, hey, I, what are you I, I don't, do? I don't think he has to be cashed, right? Like, he could yeah. still be around, right? Like, he's he, like he is the least written out of the movie of any of the... Or written out of the reality of any of them except for maybe Hawkeye. Like, well, so Thor I, Thor is definitively in. We, we've known for a long time Chris Hemsworth says he'll play Thor right, right, for right. as long as he possibly can. But but, but he's, um, he, he's in cosmic Marvel, right? Like, which is yeah, usually yeah. separated. He, yeah, he's being kind of shunted over to a different sort of, uh, you know... I, I think him being a supporting character in a different kind of, like, team book makes plenty of sense. That's fine. Um, I have a feeling that, like, Banner might pop up. Like, he might pop up in, uh, you know, like, I could see him pop up in, like, a Captain Marvel movie as, like, a supporting brainy kind of guy or something along those lines. That would, you know, that would make plenty of sense. What, um, what did you think about Professor Hulk as in, in kind of general? Uh, I don't like Professor Hulk in general. Um, from the comics, uh, I've liked Joe Fixit. Do you know Joe Fixit? I'm I'm familiar with the concept. Yeah, yeah. So I like Joe Fixit. I like Peter. Peter David is the, you know, Peter David is one of my favorite comic book writers, and he wrote the Hulk for a long. Peter David is the guy who cut off Aquaman's hand and put the hook on it, um, and gave Aquaman the beard and the long hair and a lot of, um, uh, like. He, he he was the that was the Aquaman that got me into Aquaman, and so I've always loved Peter David. And Peter David had a very long Hulk run in the eighties, um, and I've liked his take on the kind of like uh, on you know the Hulk being in symbiosis with Banner, um, and this was not really that, but you know, okay, it's fine. I actually, to be honest with you, I kind of wish Hulk and Thor swapped places a little bit. It sort of bugged me that Thor had to, like, regress as a character and go through another character arc that we've already seen twice. And Hulk got to have his character arc off screen. Um, yeah, no, I, It I surprised me, to be honest, that they just, that they just did that. Um, because it seemed like such a huge thing that the Hulk didn't want to come out after beating, you know, like, after Thanos beat him up. And I was really expecting that to kind of pay off here, but it didn't. So... That was not great. Um, 
And then, and then, like, you know, Jeremy Renner, Scarlett Johansson. That's the big one. Scarlett Johansson is Black Widow because we know there's a Black Widow movie in production. Um, and it, we know that it's going to be a prequel, uh, but it's just – Do, it do seems, we know that? Uh, yeah, so that was confirmed because uh, okay. I think Black Widow is rated R and it is set – it's kind of, like, tells the story of how she became an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. tentatively, right? I guess all okay. this stuff could change. Um, and so I was very su- surprised that she was the one that died. I thought Hawkeye was going to bite it. Because uh, we also know that Jeremy Renner... Jeremy Renner is an interesting case because he's not even, like, an actor first. He, like, flips houses in Hollywood. Um, and then he just kind of, like, fell backwards into acting sometimes. But, like, he makes most of his money through fucking, like, house flipping. So, you know, it has always sort of been surprising that Jeremy Renner has kind of been around for, you know, like, for, around for as long as he has been. Um, wow. Yeah. Why? Wow. Right? Yeah, like, it's like a weird tidbit detail i mean it, you know th- that kind of thing happens uh from time to time uh like jessica alba is like a billionaire because she started like a diaper company or something like that which is why she hasn't been in any fucking mo- mo- movies she was like a huge movie star in the mid-aughts and now is right like you know <laughs> anyway um so uh so those are like the big core avengers uh, I was expecting a little bit more setup to see, like, the next generation of Avengers. I was expecting it to be something along the lines of Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Captain Marvel kind of being like, we need to keep this project going. They're the three with the solo movies right now, so it kind of makes the most sense that they're the ones that are going to mirror that um, Iron Man, Thor, Captain America is kind of triumvirate. I think it would be a very cool triumvirate because you kind of have, like, tech on for Black Panther, magic for Doctor Strange, and, like, space for Captain Marvel. But, uh, I, yeah, that was really surprising that they didn't do something along those lines. And instead, uh, you know, like, they did the pass-off to... Um, they did the pass-off of Captain America to Anthony Mackie as Falcon. Yeah, no, that, 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 that makes sense. Speaking of the Captain America thing did you like i really enjoyed kind of like the i guess the, the slow you know captain america walks forward through time at one second per second to get back to the present um i i kind of enjoyed that that i guess qualifies i mean yeah way. it's one of those it doesn't make any sense given the time travel logic but yeah it's such a it's such a good character moment right um i think this is the the very best send-off for captain america because in a, one of the interesting things about Captain America is that he doesn't really have much of a character arc, right? He is, um, uh, you know, and this, and that's fine, you know, I've talked about this before, but there are different kinds of characters. Not all of them need arcs. And Captain America is specifically the kind of guy who doesn't, right? In the sense that he has a little bit of an arc in the first movie, but for the most part, his he, he is fundamentally, like, rooted moving forward, and he doesn't have flaws to correct or to change the arcs happen for other people essentially right um and part of the tragedy of captain america has always been that you know like he missed his shot with peggy and so giving him the ability to like finally after however many movies and however many years like truly complete that character arc that got set up in the very first movie is like touching right like I don't, I don't have a huge connection to the Captain America movies, but even that moment really, like, got to me in a way that a lot of the other kind of tearjerker, heart-wrenching moments, I was kind of like, I'm not really here for this. Um, 
Yeah, no, so I, I, yeah. I, I, I did feel that. I, I, I thought it, I thought it was touching. I thought it was neat. I, I don't know. I uh, did you like, did you did you connect with like the Iron Man stuff? That was I, I have never really super connected with these Iron Man movies. Um, oh, I mean, like I I didn't recognize the kid at the funeral. Um, so oh, I'm, see, I'm so glad I saw that, and I was like, I fucking bet that's the kid from Iron Man three, and then I was right. Um, <laughs> but I did I did really appreciate kind of like. Tony's sacrifice and like you know mm-hmm. the kind of in, in memoriam type of feeling of the end of the movie it it, it 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 hit me right also like the I really like the I am Iron Man moment that worked for me um all these kind of like like silly iconic moments like one-liners kind of did it for me there was that there was Hail Hydra Hail Hydra really worked for me I know that you have said in our chat that didn't work as much for you, but I thought that was, uh, you, that was you know that movie. Great. That moment definitely worked for me. Uh, the thing about that moment is, I was uh, this is the, this is my action thing, right? I felt so starved for action that I was like, oh, they're gonna redo the elevator fight scene from Captain America: The Winter Soldier, right? Which is a great, super awesome fight scene. Um, and then he doesn't do it, so he does Hail Hydra, and I was just like, ah, man, you know. So, that's not a real ding. That's like, I wanted them to do one thing, and they did another, and that's very, they, it's a very fair choice, right? Fair uh, enough, we, fair we enough. We eventually got Captain America versus Captain America, the fight scene, so I wasn't even, you know, like, my my bloodthirst, right, was mollified a little bit later, so it wasn't a huge deal. Uh... Yeah, no, it was uh, uh, the 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 Captain America versus Captain America scene was was definitely a lot of fun. Um, uh, I, I don't know why my my brain went in this direction, but I, I did want to make a comment between the trailer for Gemini Man and this movie. Um, looks like the de aging tech is pretty pretty good. Yeah, right? it's insane. Like, like Michael Douglas in the past is just like holy shit, right? Like that worked. So well, um, the the voices don't right both in Gemini Man and in and in and Michael Douglas the voice sounded wrong, but I, but you know it was uh, uh, it was it was it was uh, visually it was it was it was kind of stunning right especially considering that we've seen like like you know I uh, fans of the show know I thought that Tarkin and Leia in the Star Wars movies like really gave me the heebie-jeebies. Um, but uh, it you know, uh, which is I guess a slightly different thing because they didn't have the actual. It was like pure CG, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but it was really cool, and I thought it was really neat. Um, uh, I thought it was just kind of incredible. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, in in a certain sense, I sort of think part of the reason that like I I'm harsh on Infinity War is because it ties so much of its core kind of like character content to Iron Man who is just like a character in the Marvel universe that everyone has connected to except for me right um fair enough and so right like I think that that is a that you know that's that's like a little bit um of just like this movie wasn't quite for me um but there there are definitely pieces of it that were for me right like yeah. captain america using mjolnir is a callback to avengers age of ultron which got an insane number of callbacks by the way which was my favorite event you know like that was my favorite marvel movie for a long time um doctor strange got really cool stuff with the the ancient one callback that i was 
floored by that. Um, and the interesting thing is I was sitting right next to a girl who's like a fangirl and she was freaking out about every little thing when it came to like the big stuff, right? Oh, Iron Man has a daughter now. Um, you know, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Pepper Potts shows up in the final battle in the rescue armor. Um, stuff, you know, like all of that stuff worked gangbusters for her, but all of the stuff that was working for me was like, you know, Hulk having a conversation with the ancient one and her saying that, you know, Stephen Strange is gonna, is supposed to be the best of them, right? Like, and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it's because like, I, you know, I'm like the only person in the world who like really loves Doctor Strange, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I thought that was, I thought that was really cool too. Is that like a reference to like something in the comics? Because I think that might be part of it too, right? Like I am aware of the Miholner thing. Um, cause that's a thing from the comics originally as well. Right. Um, and the hail Hydra thing is a comics callback. Um, and yeah, they're all kind of riffs, um, right. on, on the, on the, the comics thing. Um, yeah, Doctor Strange is, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be the best of us. Uh, though he also loses the Sorcerer Supreme title for a while, which was actually pretty great. Um, uh, do you know, like the Planet Hulk storyline? A little bit. Is this the one with Maestro? Yeah, well, uh, I think so. I can't remember if that's his name. But, yeah, Hulk gets sent to a planet, and he becomes, like, a gladiator. This is sort of what, like, the Thor Ragnarok stuff is. Um, and he becomes, like, a crazy gladiator, and he revolts, and he takes over the whole planet. And then he and his kind of entourage, include, like, Korg and stuff, um, fly back to Earth. And he it's it's called World War Hulk. In World War Hulk... Doctor Strange uses some, like, super bad juju black magic to 1v1 the Hulk and loses. Um, and because he fucks... Because he uses, like, the super black magic, he loses the Sorcerer Supreme title. It's drams. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I I was a little surprised that they were so light on Captain Marvel and Black Panther. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, f- I, I feel like they're going to be, like, bigger characters moving forward maybe and that's why um i th- that's like my only that's the only thing i can think of because like you know like captain marvel for being like the stinger of of infinity war was like in almost nothing in this movie she had laughably little to do yeah um, i would i was honestly a little bit like oh okay i guess you know that's fine, because um, I sort of think that keeping things more contained actually was was better. I loved all of the Guardian stuff too, right? Like, sure, you know, it was funny because the the woman next to me was freaking out and started crying when Tony gets off the spaceship and like collapses in front of like Steve or whatever. Um, and there's a really small moment after that where Nebula walks off the spaceship. And Rocket walks up to her and holds her hand. And I was just like, <laughs> So it's like, the two of us were both, like, super triggered by a moment just on, like, you know, like, I, I, the, Gar- the Guardians movies are movies that I like a lot and am connected to. And Iron Man is, you know, a character that I'm a little whatever on. Um, so that, even, like, you know, Thor reconnecting with his mom it is mind-boggling to me that they were like okay what are our big pillars well we're definitely going to do guardians all right cool we're going to do the avengers i mean we have to sure and then we're going to do thor 2 right like (laughs) what the fuck (laughs) who 
is the guy in that writer's room that had the balls to pitch fucking a huge extended callback to Thor 2? But, you know, hey, like, it worked. I really like Rene Russo. It was really nice to see him have that conversation with his mom and stuff like that. Um, so I, I wonder if they were just like, well, we need to get literally everyone in this movie. And so we need something with Natalie Portman. I don't think Natalie Portman was in the movie. Uh, oh I, no, I, I don't eat. I, like, I don't oh, think okay. she, yeah, yeah. Right. That's like you're saying just like to have her on, on screen. Cause she, she gets like a, she gets like a, she doesn't get like the signature credit, but in the credits she gets like one of the, the, uh, uh, like what, one of the major credits, right? Like before uh-huh. they go, the, and I, I was surprised, like, you know. Like, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer got those credits, too. And they were, like, and Michelle Pfeiffer was in there for all of, all of just yeah, Tony's. Yeah, by the way, the most expensive scene in co- in just movie history. <laughs> you right. The one-shot pan of, over the all of the mourners. I was just like, that's like half a million dollars. Right, right like, yeah. For just eight seconds of fucking screen time. Uh, th- uh, they were, again, to call back to the uh, the Red Letter Media Review, they, they, they were wondering if it was, like, if it was real or not, right? Like, could it have been like, like, what may, was it maybe composited together? Just because that that would be so, so crazily expensive to try and coordinate all of that together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it would have been insanely expensive, um, and so much of it, like Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer. I was like, what are they even doing there? <laughs> Like, I kind of feel like it was a more important moment just for, like, the MCU in total. But, like, if you kind of think about it in the context of, like, if you think about it in the the context of the movie, it's like, Captain Marvel was an Avenger, but Tony immediately quits the Avengers as soon as he comes back. So, what is their interaction? Basically nothing. Um, but, you know, I don't think you're supposed to think about that stuff. Yeah, well, I mean... I bet you there's like uh well cuz like uh, he, uh he, him and uh and, and Howard Stark are uh are uh what's it old rivals I don't know you could probably yeah, build some I excuse mean, Yeah I I feel like you could do you know you could do some kind of math to to put it to put it together Really at the end of the day I just think that that movie was um I guess I would just say that, like, that, that, that scene was more than just about Tony. It was kind of oh, about, yeah. like, you know, this f- section of ten years of Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Um, which is fine, y- I guess. Yeah, no, fine. like, I, I had forgotten about John Favreau's character. Um, oh, like, yeah, Hogan, until, Happy Hogan. Yeah, yeah, just entirely. And then, like I said, I didn't even recognize the kid. Um, I Like, for a second, I was like, is that supposed... Who, who is oh, he supposed man. to when be? When he said, when she, when he was like, are you hungry? What do you want to eat? I was like, 100% she's going to say cheeseburger. And she's like, cheeseburger. And then I was like, oh, 100% he's going to start crying. And he started crying. <laughs> and I, you know, I remember that moment from Iron Man 1. I've seen Iron Man 1 a bunch of times. That's, that's, that's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it was <sighs> like, 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 like we said this at the top of the episode. It was three hours of fan service. Yeah. Just, just to make you feel like, make you feel the the feels. I, I, you know, I, I, I have to say that I found this an insanely predictable Marvel movie. Oh, given yeah. 
the like the track record of Marvel for like fooling me. Like in Captain Marvel, right? Like I, I had no idea that the, the squirrels were going to be good guys. I never predicted that sort of thing. And they are typically good about making those kinds of plot twists. Um, and so it was interesting. I wouldn't even say it was bad. It was just interesting in this movie that they didn't, you know, like that they didn't do that. They didn't seem to like worry about it. You know, once the core premise was set up that you could use the quantum realm for time travel or whatever, I was like, oh, they're going to time travel in the past, get the, you know, like get the infinity stones. I even pegged this whole thing with like Thanos. Um, They're going to get the infinity stones. And I I thought it was going to be a little bit different, but, you know, and then you trigger like trigger Thanos coming back um, or whatever and then have to like fight Thanos in a giant in a big giant blowout battle with all of the Avengers versus Thanos. Um, I expect, you know, I expected it to be that like when whoever brings back everyone that was killed in the snap, that would like unintentionally include Thanos. Right. Um, because he was like, quote unquote, killed by the infinity stones because of, you know, like just something like that. Right. Um, and, uh, and then they did this whole thing with like time travel Thanos from 2014. Um, so, ah, you know. It is what it is. It is what um, it is. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, so uh, something I wanted to call out because as fans of this podcast will know, Ant-Man is my favorite Marvel movie. Paul Rudd is a treasure. He continued to be a treasure in this movie. I think he was like, he was at least to me, probably my, my single favorite part of this movie. Again, this is, this is Mango loves Ant-Man. Um, Mango loves Paul Rudd, really. I was actually um, surprised how much I loved Ant-Man in this movie, because I, you know, I didn't like the first Ant-Man, and I really didn't like the second Ant-Man. Um, but, yeah, Paul Rudd is just magnetic um, yeah. on screen, and he is just so good at this thing and in this part that it sort of doesn't even matter. Um, I also think that, like, putting a lot of the kind of narrative weight of the movie on him was... Um, was was like secretly uh, a pretty good decision because I think if they hadn't, you know, like the, the he Nebula felt this way where she felt like a little bit perfunctory to the, all of the proceedings. Same thing with Rocket, where it was kind of like, well, what are they doing here? It doesn't make a ton of sense that they're sticking around, but just fine, whatever. I guess I'll get over it, kind of thing. Um, but Ant Man definitely didn't feel that way just because he was so integral to like the quantum realm and time dragon and all this shit. Yeah, no, that, that absolutely. I don't. I don't know what else to. to if, if I got anything to add, I just he, you know, Paul Rudd's also very funny, very charismatic, um, very good driving force for the movie. Um, uh, he was also like kind of uh, a good vehicle for like understanding the, the five years since you know he he like us didn't see the past five years, so I thought that that really worked. Like him running through the streets of San Francisco. Although I, I will say that, like, some of that that was like, you know, like, like looking over a torn world. I'm like, you know, yeah, it's sad, but half the population gone doesn't mean that everything goes to shit, right? Like, it just means that people are sad for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, that was the part that I thought was sort of hilarious because, like, if you think about it, half. Well, I mean. Not if you think about it. If you just, like, happen to know some rudimentary statistics. Half the population returns you to about the 70s. So, like, the idea that, like, the Earth becomes this post-apocalyptic wasteland, I was like, mm, 
that's a stretch. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, honestly, I thought I thought San Francisco made the most sense, right? It was a you know little bit screwed up, and then they had a monument, which is exactly what I would expect if something like that happened in real life, right? Like, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, the five-year gap was really weird to me. I thought it didn't make any sense, and I was really it, it, surprised that they went so, for it. So, so this, this is a nitpicky thing, but it bothered me so much. But when Tom Holland, or when Spider-Man goes back to school, right? Him yeah, and, right. Him, him and the the kid, like they 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 like slap hands as if Spider-Man's been dead, but the the other guy, I can't remember his name. Um, uh, has they both dead. had to have been dead? Dead, because order... otherwise he'd be like he'd be like in college. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um. I think I think that's just a thing that they're gonna like, like you know, like pass over. Turns out that none of the important characters from Spider Man survived the snap the first time, so they all happen to be in the same grade. In, yeah. Uh, oh, so they're all back to back, right back to it, and they're gonna go to Europe together, buy tickets to F- Spider Man Far From Home. Like <laughs> that. That would be funny if like they had like one character who was like, uh, like just like happened to be in Rome and was just like. Yeah, I'm I'm in college now, yeah, or something like that. Um, but uh, you know, like I said, kind of nitpicky, kind of like I should just sit back and do it. But I just immediately popped into my brain. I'm like, that this shouldn't work. This works for every for like adults because five years isn't that much time. But for like a kid in high school, that's like all of high school. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like that kind of thing was very weird to me, and I sort of didn't understand what they were going for. Um, I kind of I, I posited that this might be like a an overall direction of the MCU thing. Like I was trying to think of things and I was like maybe they want to age up uh Ant Man's daughter so that they can do a kind of like young Avengers thing with like her and like Shuri and like the girl from Captain Marvel who would be like fifty now. Um so uh, she wouldn't be like fifty. She'd be like our age. She'd be like thirty. Um, and so, like, maybe they're doing something kind of along those lines. I really just, I just really didn't get it. Was it just about, like, giving Tony a kid for pathos? That seems like a really weird and hugely momentous plot decision to make just to give Tony a little bit of extra pathos, but okay. Um, uh, honestly, the only thing that really screws with is is Spider-Man. And so they have to, I guess, make the excuse for him. But otherwise, otherwise it, it kind of... Yeah. Otherwise, it, it it works, right? Like, Ant Man's daughter isn't a central character. Um. Uh, what is it? like uh, like Tony? Like you said, Tony's daughter has some benefit. Every, and everybody else doesn't really matter. Five years is 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 not a ton of time. Um. <sighs> Captain Marvel gets a haircut. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very important. <laughs> Whoa, spicy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, uh, I was, I was very happy that, uh, what was Korg and, and the, the, the other and guys. Meek, yeah. yeah. I'm glad that they kind of came back, even I, if, like, I don't like Ragnarok all that much. They're just funny and cute and who cares, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, like, I you know, Korg repping the Hawaiian definitely, definitely made me happy. Um, I also was very happy that they show up in the final battle and you actually get to see them, like, being things that aren't just comic relief. I thought that was mm-hmm. neat. Like, like, you know, the, like I was super impressed that everybody showed up in that final, like everybody showed up in that final battle. Like, and it was, it was, it was glorious. Like you said, you know, it's, it's like cool cat, ca- you know, cafeteria stuff. Um, 
playing football with the gauntlet. Uh, so, I mean, if, if I want to, if I want to make another kind of nitpick, if if Tony can make a gauntlet that works with the Infinity Stones, how how come he needed to like? How come Thanos needed to like beat Peter Dinklage to make him a gauntlet? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense. God, yep. this movie is so fucking sloppy. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think that's the right way to put it, right? Like, this is an incredibly sloppy movie. Yeah. Um, you know. Not... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've seen I've seen people be like, if this isn't nominated for Best Picture, right, like, the Academy is going to, like, you know, be... I'm never going to watch the Oscars again. And I'm just like, oh, boy. Like, if you thought we were having a conversation about it with Black Panther, Black Pan- yeah, like... I cannot wait until we have a conversation about it, about a fucking Avengers Endgame. Like... Jesus. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, yep. This, you know, I made that prediction. I thought they were, you know, like the, the, the Black Panther was a, a setup for, uh, end game, but end game, end game doesn't deserve it. Um, it, I, it definitely doesn't, it doesn't deserve it. Uh, like on a qualitative level, I feel like it deserves it on like the cultural. Yeah. Like this is the argument that I made before, right? Like that big cultural impact level. I liked that argument a lot better when it was black Panther, which is a movie that I think is very, very good. And I respect a lot. Uh, and now I kind of have to begrudgingly stick to the principle, right? <laughs> In the face of a movie that I don't think is super great. And is it, you know, and isn't like my favorite thing ever uh but uh but yeah i kind of feel like you know if you're gonna make the argument that big momentous cultural impact movies deserve to be nominated for best picture and win off of the backs of kind of more the context of their release rather than like the text of it um then i think avengers endgame probably qualifies and probably deserves to win in the same way that return of the king qualified and deserved to win um, yeah, but I think Return of the King was good enough to, like... Yeah, that's like, the thing. Return of the King is a really good movie, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like this is the type of thing that doesn't want a Best Picture award. It wants, like, a, you know, a cultural impact award that's, that's not always awarded and just given discretionally because yeah, like we were, oh this is the most iconic movie of the year and then we move on with our lives yeah yeah like i mean how, how does it fare to other recent comic book movies right like captain marvel shazam shazam is way better than this right uh i don't know if i can say think i think it's hmm, hmm, this is tough i don't know if i, I think, think captain marvel is worse i think shazam is better yeah, I don't know if I agree on Shazam, but I think like Into the Spider Verse is better. Yeah, Into the Spider Verse is better. Um, uh, Aquaman is better. Aquaman is actually a little bit of like the same. It's, it's sort of the same tier. They just have different sort of flaws. Aquaman is just yeah. like kind of insanely sort of uh, formulaic. I guess I would I would say. Yeah. Right? Um, I guess I don't know, but I also said they, this wasn't formulaic, but it was predictable. So. Yeah. It kind of has like the same sort of like the same sort of like ding. Well, at least it was better than Hellboy, right? Oh yeah, it was definitely <laughs> better than Hellboy. The real question, the real question, is it better than Venom? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, 
if, if you were to ask me which one, if I had to go see another one right now, and it was between Venom and Endgame, it'd be a tough decision. Um, <laughs> I think I would see Venom. <laughs> I don't think I ever need to see Endgame again. Um, I feel bad. I, you know, I don't want to say that. I like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I think part of this is just like the lackluster lead-up, because you have Ant-Man into Captain Marvel into this, which just is not great. Um, cause those two movies are like not great. So I didn't have the same kind of hype going into it that I had going into infinity war. Cause infinity war was coming off of a, like a strong, you know, like that was coming off of black Panther, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Guardians two. So, you know, it is uh, like, it's a little bit of, it's like, it's like half and half in a way. Um, yeah, I, I feel like you'd want to see it again, just to kind of like. You know, like, like like standard second viewing things, like the same reason you'd want to see a, any movie a second time. But I, I, th- I think you're right. I don't think it needs, like, the kind of, you know, it's not a movie that you put on repeat um, or that you, that you view a ton of times. Um, also, this is funny because it's, like, the MCU is so large that, like, you know, I will, every once in a while, go rewatch all of the Star Wars movies because I love Star Wars. Um, uh, and, uh, and... I don't think I can do that for the MCU in a meaningful way, right? Like, I can't be like, oh, boy, this weekend, let's go watch all of the MCU. It's like, no. <laughs> I, you're yeah, not going to do yeah. anything else. Uh, yeah, I super feel that. And I also feel like, you know, it's it's even tough to do some, um, I don't know. It just kind of seems like... I, c- I couldn't watch the three Captain America movies without, like, the connective tissue. Because going from, like, going from Captain America, the first Avengers, to Winter Soldier without do- doing a pit stop in the Avengers, right? And then going yeah. Winter Soldier to Civil War without doing a pit stop in Ultron, right? And then going from, you know, like, the, the, all of those things kind of feel not great. And in a certain way, it just kind of becomes, like, too big and un- unwieldy in a way. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I get that. I, I definitely agree with that. I th- I th- you know, the big exception to this is probably the Guardians movies because um, they didn't cross over with anything really, and uh, you know, just sort of. They're also what, like, they're also the ones that have their own. They most strongly have their own identity. Yeah, yeah, you know, because because you know the Iron Man one and two are directed by one guy, and then Iron Man three is directed by a third guy. Thor 1, 2, and 3 are all directed by different people. Captain America 1 and Captain America 2 and 3 are directed by different people. So there isn't that same kind of, like, rooted in place, you know, kind of like James Gunn aesthetic. Uh, James Gunn also writes his own movies, where most of those other guys don't and aren't writing their own films. So, like, I don't know. That is, that is, that leads very much into the, like, auteurness that we've talked about before. Yep, Absolutely. Absolutely. But anyway, that's our whole thing about Endgame. I don't want to kill anybody's hype, and I I, yeah. I, I want to literally and sincerely apologize if anybody like listens to this podcast and is like, oh, buddy, why did you ruin this movie for me? Fuck, I'm so sorry if I've done that. Like, I, I don't want to be the party pooper. I yeah, just kind of no. feel like I have to. Yeah, and, and, you know, like, this, this is, I, I think, a, a moment to, to, you know, say that, like, things can be entertaining without being, like, critically good and yeah. that's fine right it's what, like it's like the you know like the anita sarkeesian quote that she puts in the front of her videos like you can like something and still be critical of aspects of it i can't remember what it is but 
that I think that that very much holds true for this uh, for like this movie. I'm certainly critical of it, but I think I probably liked it. I think I liked it more than Infinity War, just because I think the Infinity War's framing of Thanos is so gross. Um, so that's not nothing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess moving on from that, how was uh, how was your week? Uh, my week was great. I played a gazillion hours of Total War Warhammer 2, and the Hearthstone World Championships just happened, uh, which is, which is cool and which is neat. Um, Total War Warhammer 2 is just so fun that I tried booting up Imperial Rome, which came out three days ago, and I was like, do I want to play this, or do I want to go back to playing the Skaven, or whatever? Um... And the answer was, I went back to fucking play the Skaven. So I literally have not touched Imperator Rome, even though I was insanely hyped. You know, like if you had talked to me on, like, Wednesday of this week, I'd have been like, oh, yeah, I'm so excited for tomorrow, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I did play Imperator. Um, I haven't played a ton of it. Um, the reviews are coming in kind of mixed, and I, I think I agree with a lot of them, which is basically, like, there's not a ton to do in peacetime. I don't think that's, like totally true like i played through the tutorial and i thought the tutorial was boring but the tutorial had a lot of like gave you a lot of bonuses and probably went on for a little too long um but once i started playing an actual game right like i think it kind of held the same kind of uh uh charm that the other games do i don't think it's as good i think this is a problem maybe for paradox in that like kind of you have to expect to play the long game with these games and wait for them to 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 really bloom and i'm not super big fan of that but i still think it's fun i think that if we ever get around to doing the multiplayer game we've been talking about doing that the the clock the clock constantly ticking will probably help um help with that um that's because it's uh it's uh like it'll like make some of those like peace times go faster because you have to be doing everything on the fly rather than being able to pause and then have to wait for things to happen. Um, cause that does, you know, happen a lot. I also think that playing as not Rome will help with that. Cause Rome, Rome gets a lot of help, right? Like Rome, like immediately or not immediately, but in like January after the start of the game, get to cast his belly on the entirety of the Italian peninsula. Uh, yeah, for free. Right, and then like a little bit later, gets gets a castus belly across the ocean on the on the Greek provinces. Uh, so, yeah. Um, spoilers. Yeah, th- that was a little bit of a that was a little bit of a problem in Total War Rome Two. Um, though in Total War Rome Two, you had it was it was centered around the Punic Wars, so you also had Carthage, which was really powerful, and Rome basically went to war with Carthage pretty quickly. Um, right. So. And I think Carthage is supposed to be a big force in this game. We just haven't run into them yet, right? Because they haven't. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that's crazy about Imperator is that it starts super early um, in uh, in Total War Rome Two. You start a lot closer to the Punic Wars, essentially, and so like you kind of hit like you kind of like you know arrive at the big dramatic stuff a little bit sooner. I guess I would say than what it sounds like Imperator does, but, you know. Hey, you spend, you spend a bunch of time in, in uh, Imperator just kind of, like, cleaning up the Italian continent, 
Like your biggest opponents are probably the Etruscans. I man have managed to ally with them, so I'm not uh, taking care. Of, I you know figure let the Etruscans do their thing, and then I'll push south and then clean up the Etruscans at some point. Um, uh, and so I you know it's it's fun, but it's definitely not like I thought I was going to spend every moment of this weekend playing that game, and I definitely didn't. Um, the other thing I the other things I did was. Uh, uh, to contrast with Hearthstone, I played uh, some MTG Arena because War of the Spark came out. Um, I don't know if it's the full release or the pre-release or whatever, but it's fully released on, on Arena. Played around with that a bunch. It's fun. Um, uh, you know, I love Magic cards. Like, uh, like, there's so many of them. It's just so much deeper than Hearthstone in a way that, like, isn't all good, right? Like, it's it's more complex. Sometimes I just don't feel like thinking about it. Deck building's definitely harder. Um I'd, sometimes I just kind of want to like, like derp around in Hearthstone. Um, uh, and the other thing I played was uh, Katana Zero, which is a new-ish thing came out last week. Uh, indie game. Um, it's very, very good. Very, very cool. Uh, kind of like one of these. It's it's kind of like a if you took Hotline Miami and like viewed it from the side instead of from the top. Um, same type of like you know. Play it, play a level a bunch of times until you get the run perfect combat. Um, although it's a little bit, I think, a little bit neater. Um, the storyline is not the not anywhere near the same as Hotline Miami, but it's got the same kind of like, you know, weird goes off the rails very hard is very intriguing type of thing that happens with a lot of these indie games. Um, yeah, um, it's relatively short. I think I beat it in like three or four hours. But I think it was worth it. It was it was a it was a really cool experience, um, and there's more content on the way. It's on, like you know there, it ends on a cliffhanger ish thing, and then there's like a there's like a like a, a an extra level that that you unlock when you beat the game, and it says check back in a few months. So I, I assume that means there's DLC on the way. Um, what else did I do this week? I checked out a couple different things. Uh, uh, I checked out Wilson Lords of Mayhem. I'm just feeling like playing a, a loot like Diablo type game. Um, and Wilson is a game I've had on my radar for a while. It's been in early access for like a, a long time. Um, um, and they just released the beta version a couple weeks ago before it was all alpha. Um, uh, and it it's what well, I have said in the past that like Path of Exile is a very cool and deep game that I find myself having trouble getting deep into because it feels kind of janky. This game is it's a little bit janky but it looks like it could be less janky if that makes sense like it's it's pretty it's done in the cry engine um and some of the animations aren't quite right but i feel like that's all stuff that like you can that will get fixed maybe i don't know i think it's i think it's a lot of fun um i am definitely not going to play any more of it until it gets fully released which i think is supposed to happen later this year um but other than that it's been it's been a a good time. Um, have I played anything else? Uh, similar to that, I played like it's like Guardians of Ember. I think is the name of it. It's like a free to play Diablo type game um, that has been making the rounds on like various YouTube channels. Like they've been doing sponsored content with a couple different people I follow. So I was like, oh, I'll give it a look, and it just feels kind of like cheap. Is is the best way to put it. Um, not a super huge fan of it, but you know, it's more of that and it's 
decently well done and it's free. So, you know, if that's your jam, that's your jam. Um, what else? Uh, uh, so something that I think is hilarious is uh, I've been playing a lot of Destiny 2. Um, and I haven't really played a lot this week. But I definitely get on every week to do. There's these story bits that come out each week now. They're called Invitation to the Nine. You go do some minor objectives, and then you get a cutscene-ish with, um, with with some lore behind it. And it's uh, broken this week. Um, it just like the and it's broken in a very silly way. So, um, uh, what is it? It's you have to go kill or. You have to go get seven foozles that drop from different enemy types, right? And uh, you have to go kill Vex on the Tangled Shore um, as one of the steps. The problem is, is there are no Vex on the Tangled Shore, so there's no way to complete the quest. Everybody's response is kind of like, what the <laughs> fuck, Bungie? It's funny. Like, how did, you not, how did you not catch this beforehand? Um, but yeah, that's that's been... Oh! Oh, the thing to talk about since we 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 we're, we're eventually going to do an episode on this. Um, I watched seasons two and three and a half of four of Game of Thrones. Oh yes, I'm talked. so excited. Okay, let's talk. Yeah. Um. So, uh, we talked a little bit, or I talked to you a little bit about this off screen. But uh, the, the, my biggest takeaway is I am so bored whenever Daenerys is on screen. Like, like. So, kind of pursuant to our last conversation, I think the thing that makes the series special in a way is people have conflicting plans and like the plot armor stuff means that they don't always happen, right? Like things that are unthinkable and other forms of, like, uh, you know, this is like what happens with the red wedding, which I thought was, was, was really well done. But with Daenerys, like that rule doesn't apply to Daenerys, right? Daenerys always like wins with relatively little effort, at least to the point where I'm at. Um, you know, she marches in, she's like, slaves bad. And the slaves are like, yes, slaves bad. Thank you, mommy Daenerys. And then it's over. Um, uh, I, because of, I guess, how rapidly I'm watching, I'm definitely feeling the kind of like, you know, no battles ever actually happen on screen. You just kind of, except like the only battle I think that really happened was Blackwater. Yeah, um, Blackwater was a big deal at the time. But uh, to be honest, it kind of gets a little bit outclassed as they get more money because um, like season two of Game of Thrones was like a big deal, but it wasn't like the biggest deal of all time yet. And when you get into season three, four, five, right, like that's when it really sort of uh, it really sort of takes off. Um, it's funny because I remember at the time the Battle of the Blackwater was like amazingly cool and super awesome, and I was like freaking out the whole time. I was like, whoa, you know what I mean? And now it feels almost like a little bit quaint. In comparative to the battles that we've seen since then, um, which is mean and kind of unfair, but you know what, whatever. Uh, I definitely feel that. I definitely feel that whole thing about. Um, I definitely feel that whole thing about Daenerys being a little bit boring, especially in. I you know like I like season three Daenerys because you know like that whole thing where she like plays the trick on. Uh, whatever the the master's the name is. Yeah, I think like the best Daenerys moment in the whole show is when she's like ordering the Unsullied to kill the masters in High Valyrian, and she's speaking that High Valyrian. I can't remember what she, she's saying. Like Axioventas, Mendioventas, you know, like whatever it is. It's like gibberish, made up language. Um, but it's just like 
yeah, dude, fire and blood. Like, it's just awesome. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, so the thing that, that, that bothered for me is, like, it was, it was very obvious to me that eventually she was going to reveal that she spoke the language. It was very obvious to me that the trick was going to be that the dragon is just going to kill him and not, you know, and go back to Daenerys. Um, like, it, it, it just seemed like that, like, th- those things were, were, were just very, very kind of obvious to me in, in a show that I get a lot of pleasure from not being able to pre- predict what's happening. That's fair. Right? Yeah, it, I'm in a weird spot because between seasons two and three, I read all of the books. So, obviously, I knew what was, you know, essentially going to happen. And so, I never really got to a chance to you know, uh, to, like, get it fresh in a way. Or I guess, well, in the books it's a little bit different. Um, it doesn't, like, play out in that same way because you can't do the thing with, like, translating because um, you're in Daenerys's head, so she is, obvi- you know, like, she knows what he's saying the whole time, so you don't get that same, like, Valyrian is my mother tongue, you know, that, that, that all moment, that stuff. Yeah. Um, other thing, um, is that I just find hilarious is like Game of Thrones is the only th- like the only depiction of medieval battles where you know wearing a helmet is less safe than not wearing one. Um, <laughs> it's like it's it's so funny how no one wears a helmet. Like the the thing that really got me the worst was it's that one. It's like right after Grey Worm kind of like gets identified. I think it's like the second city they infiltrate. Like they go into the city. Um, and Grey Worm is wearing his helmet, and then as soon as a fight breaks out, it comes off of his head. Like, immediately. And I, I think I literally laughed out loud. It's like, you, you gotta see the important character's face at all times. Yeah, it's funny, too. Uh, the, the thing that I find hilarious is the Hound, because the, they show the Hound helm that he wears, right? But he never wears that helm in the show. He's just, like, all the way, he just always doesn't have a fucking helmet on. Um, I do think that it is just about being clear and, sure. you know, like at a glance, like you just have to be able to show people where the characters are. Um, oh, absolutely. This is also, this is also a thing that like, you know, like actors don't want to not have their face on screen for a thing that like is, is kind of important. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a real and thing. It, it, it's fine. Right. It's just kind of, it's just funny. Um, uh, there was something. Oh, and the other big thing for me is like you know, like Theon's torture just comes out of kind of nowhere and just goes with like no explanation for so long. Just like what the fuck. Um, but I thought it was entertaining at least, especially especially were that. So, were you so glad that Theon was getting tortured? I wasn't glad that he was getting tortured. Right, like, like, like I just thought it was like entertaining and kind of a depraved way. Um, I mean, I think the goal was like, you're supposed to hate Theon, but then eventually get to the point where like, yeah, even this is a little bit excessive with, with Ramsey is his name, right? The, yeah. the bastard. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's also very different in the books. So what are you going to do? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, so how 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 did you like uh how did you like all the stuff with John? You said John was your favorite character. It was John and Tyrion, right? Um so 
you know, like John beyond the wall with the with the expedition in season two, and then like joining the wildlings in season three. Was that was that was that the shit? Were you on board? I thought it was. I thought it was neat. I have I've come to like Brendan more just because I don't know. I like the the funny weird magic stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, the, like the John segments are definitely some of my favorite. Um, uh, I don't know. I am. Uh, excited because I'm I'm like uh, Brandon has just been captured by uh, the, the 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 traitors who took over cast arcs. Oh yeah, that's so that's a really cool bit because it is sh- it is unique to the show and a lot of people hate it, but I love it. I think it's super cool okay. um, because it makes a lot of sense. In uh, I don't actually remember what happens in the books. To I think I I I can't believe it'd be a plot hole, but. Um, it definitely doesn't happen that way on like on screen just because the the timelines don't quite line up that well. Um, one of the interesting things about Game of Thrones is season three and season four are pulled from the same book and kind of fused together. Um, and so things don't quite line up in terms of uh, in terms of timing 100 percent of the way. Um, okay. But I do like, you know, like, I mean, the Red Wedding is is so iconic, and it really deserves to be its own episode, um, and its own kind of climactic moment of a season, compared to in the books, where it's, you know, in the middle, you know, it's just in the middle of the book this happens. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely, definitely, uh... Definitely dramatic, I guess is the way to put it. Um, I also, like, so it was neat because I didn't quite know exactly what the Red Wedding was. Like, I knew that Joffrey died at some point, and I knew that Rob died at some point, but I wasn't quite sure. I think, I guess I knew that, that Joffrey died at his wedding. So I thought that the Red Wedding was about Joffrey's marriage. Um, so so it really, it like, it got me. Um, well, as, as much as it could have for something where I'd been semi-spoiled on it. So, uh, it was, it was neat. Um, I also didn't obviously know that, like, you know, Arya's right there and, you know, everybody's like so close to seeing each other. It just doesn't happen. Um, I thought that was cool. Um, I also don't know, like, how I feel about the Hound because you think, like, and Jamie, right? Because, like, they're both bad, ca- like, the Hound has a point when he uh, fights with the... I also don't know how to feel about, like, the fucking cult of the Fire God, which is... Ooh, yeah. Which is, I think, supposed to be a Christ analog? At least it seems that way. Um, but, like, when, when the Hound fights the the champion of, of the Fire God, um, it was, like, the Freemen or whatever they're called. Mm. Uh, the Bannerless Brothers. Uh, the Brotherhood Without Banners, yeah. That one, yeah. Um, he's got a point, right? Like... He's, you know, just kind of following orders and, like, doing things. He's not really a murderer. Um, and, you know, he works to, to show that he's not, like, a, the worst guy. He's not the best guy, but he's not terrible. Jamie, I think you're supposed to arc on harder, but, like, I still can't get over, like, he literally murders his cousin for a chance to escape. And, like, he kicks Bran out the window, so, I don't yeah, know. Wait, I feel like so sh- where is Jamie where you are at? Um, He, so Tyrion... Is in the dungeon. Okay. And he, I think the last time I saw him, he was training with Tyrion's, uh, like, mercenary Okay, yeah, buddy. so, like, his hand got cut off and everything like that? 
yeah, yeah. yeah. The last thing that happened that I remember is he's training with 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 uh, Tyrion's friend, and uh, his friend pulls off his fake hand and slaps him with it. Yeah, um, the big thing that really was huge for me with Jamie was the conversation that he has with Brienne in the baths where mm. he basically explains that the reason he murdered the Mad King was to save everybody in King's Landing from wildfire. Um, that was a huge moment in the books, kind of more than it was in the show, in a way. Because the show doesn't put as much weight on him being, like, the Kingslayer. But, like, so in the books, in the first book, because you're in Ned's head a lot when you're talking, when, like, we're doing stuff with Jamie or whatever, Jamie killing King Aerys is not seen as anything but like a self-serving power grab through Tywin right because like Jamie kills King Aerys Tywin Lannister shows up to the city and sacks King Land King's Landing you know kills um Rhaegar's kids um and stuff like you know like and all of these you know they just completely ravage the whole city and everything so it like the way that it is presented in the books was much stronger like Jamie is just a huge piece of shit he doesn't give a fuck about honor right he's just there to like put his family in power just like Cersei just like Cersei just like Tywin but the thing where he's like no like it had nothing to do with you know it had nothing I wasn't taking orders from my father this king was about to do something truly heinous and god awful and what was I supposed to do like let a million people burn and die of course not right um that was a really huge moment and i was like oh jamie <laughs> right no and, and 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 like it definitely it definitely had an impact on me too like i said the, the, the thing that kind of like bothers me about jamie still is you know like yes he was probably excused for killing the king right but that doesn't excuse him for kicking a child out of a out of a tower because he saw yeah. you having incest and doesn't excuse like murdering your cousin for the chance at getting away. Right. Like, yep. you know, killing the guard makes sense to me. Right. Like that's the thing you do when you're at war and you're trying to escape. Killing your cousin is kind of shitty. Right. Like very shitty. Um, especially a, a, a kid who has just like poured his heart out to you about how you're his hero. Um, Right, like, at, like at, at, at that moment, I was just kind of like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, <sighs> you know, the, the, the show wants me to treat him like a, a, a hero, I guess, or, or better than he was. Which I, I guess I have a little bit better opinion of him, but, you know. The show's very good about, like, having nobody be, like, really great. Like, you know, like, uh, before she dies, obviously, Catelyn Tully has, like, the thing where she can't she can't make herself love John. Um, Tywin gets humanized when Arya's, like, his cupbearer. Oh, man, um, that's some of my favorite. Season two, for a long time, I don't know if it's still my favorite, but for a long time, season two was, I guess I would say, my favorite season of Game of Thrones. Um, and it was because it, this was kind of the moment where everybody was sort of, like, doing the coolest thing, right? Like, Rob was running around fucking winning battles and... You know, Arya was cupbearer for Tywin, which was, like, insanely tense and interesting. Um, Tyrion was Hand of the King and doing Hand of the King stuff, which is kind of when, like, he's at his best. Um, I don't know how true that is anymore. I think season five might be my real favorite, like, in current terms. But uh, but I certainly feel that, like, that it's when a lot of the characters are doing really, really like, cool things. Mm. I also really love that assassin character 
Um, oh yeah, Jack and Hagar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was he was like I don't know. I like I like weird characters, and he definitely like this like the speech pattern thing and like the the, the dealings he has with Arya. I just thought he was a really really cool. How do you character. feel about how do you feel about Stannis? How do you feel about Stannis the Manis? Um, I think they did a really good job of 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 showing you that he is a man without charisma. Like, like, like at Blackwater, he's like, yeah, let's fight. Essentially. It's like a one word. It's like, that was not inspiring at all. They really did a good job of showing that Stannis is probably not going to be a great King. Um, I like your Davos a lot. Oh um, yeah. Davos. Oh, Davos is always one of it has always been one of my favorite characters. Um, there was a big. There was a, one of the things about like the Game of Thrones fandom is that like because the books kind of paused on five, there was a big conversation about like who was the best king, um, and there were a lot of like Stannis fans who were like, you know what, like Stannis is uh, Stannis is super cool and everything like that, um, and so that's where Stannis the Manis comes from was just like the immense amount of popularity that came in like that section that, that kind of like stretch of time in the fan base I, as time went on that all that stuff kind of eroded in general this is i like i was a daenerys fan i was like yo daenerys is my queen my khaleesi right like that was i was i was super on board with daenerys at the time yeah, well, that's just because you, really you, have you those look kind of like jason momoa <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> well no so i mean you know part of it is that i like daenerys like Daenerys conquers and everything like that. But part of it is that like Daenerys also, um, I like that when I just really enjoy that when she is confronted with like the inhumanity of slavery, she immediately dedicates herself to eradicating it. Right. Like I, there was something that really appealed to me about like the, I'm going to go conquer the iron throne. Oh wait, there are people right in front of me who are suffering a great injustice, you know, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I, I will put my own goals and ambitions aside to do good, right? Um, whether or yeah. not that is good or how good it is and how good she is at all these things are kind of like whatever questions. But like the idea of Daenerys as someone who is willing to, you know, like do See, good, it very much appeals to me. So I, I I get that, but I just don't know if I if I feel like it felt like she stopped, like the she's. I didn't get that she was freeing slaves at the expense of pressing her claim on the Iron Throne faster. I felt like it was all kind of in service of that. Like, I, I don't know if, if I, maybe it's more explicit in the books, but if I buy that, like, you know, if the slaver cities weren't like close by and like will, and, you know, and sources of manpower, if she would have um, gone and done them at the ex- instead of marching on the Iron Throne, and I'm not saying that like I, it just didn't come across that way to me. Like, I don't think she ever explicitly says I'm not pressing this claim because I have to go free these slaves. It's just that um, when she goes and frees these, like you know, you know, when, when she's confronted with the chief slaves, which is great. Um, the only thing I really don't like about it is 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 kind of like that she is like supremely confident in her ability to free all the slaves without any doubts. And she's never wrong about that, which seems like very much not what happens in Game of Thrones usually. Which, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not. I don't want to spoil anything. I will say, okay. stay tuned. The okay. show is better about that than you might otherwise expect. Um, okay, but yeah, I, I definitely feel that. I definitely feel that. Um, it's also a little bit of like where the time was, like, um, 
Well, I mean, I guess that would be a little bit spoilery, but, like, only certain individuals could be kings. Like, we, for instance, nobody could be, like, Rob Stark is the true king in the North anymore because we'd known for two books that he was dead, right? So right. you're picking between, you know, a certain field, I guess, of... Oh, yeah, uh, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing your choice of, of queen. Sure, uh, you know. sure. I'm just, I'm just uh, <laughs> you know, pointing out, like, what, what I... Why yeah. I'm not the biggest yeah, I, Daenerys Yeah, no, I'm fan. super on board with you when it comes to that. I also think it takes time for Daenerys's sort of uh, personal retinue of supporting characters to come together. Um, in season three, like, I mean, Jorah is always there, and I like Jorah yeah. a lot, obviously. Um, but in season three, you know, you get Barristan Selmy, you get Grey Worm, you get Missande, um, you get Dario, uh, and those I like old Dario better, I'm going to say it. Really? Yeah. Wow, why? Um... I I just think he's got like one I I just think his his face works better like I don't I don't like the new guy as much um like in terms of like what I what he's supposed to be is kind of like you know a pretty boy with like a heart of goldish like I don't think the new one's pretty enough basically um I I mean may, maybe this is kind of like you know, the fact that the first one was a pretty boy inf- informing what I think the character is supposed to be. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, yeah. I, also I guess th- the, the first one is like suave. Yeah. And the second one is like, he's like a little scrappier than that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I, I let, let me put it this way, right? Like the show has a thousand kind of like dirty tricksters, right? And less of kind of like mysterious strangers types, and I felt like the first one fell more into that category. Kind of probably the same reason I really liked the uh, the the assassin from from uh, from the yeah. You, um, I felt I saw him kind of falling into that same type of archetype in that season, and kind of switched over to kind of like the the more kind of like you know dirty trickster archetype, which is fine. It's just not my preference. I like I like the the first one. I, I like in terms of. This show, there are so many kind of like people willing to kind of be bastards that I enjoyed somebody that seemed a little bit different. Kind of like I like I think I think I like I like Grey Worm a lot for kind of that same reason because he's he's very pure. Yeah. Um, uh, I feel that I I'm very lo- excited. This is this is so nice having like the long form conversation about your journey through Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Well, I gotta keep it up. Gotta gotta be done on time for the end of the series uh but yeah right yeah well um uh we're we're a little bit over time do you have anything else you want to talk about before we wrapped it up uh no no i'm good to go uh in that case if you'd like to tell us what you think about avengers endgame or game of thrones or any other things that we talked about in this podcast you can get to us at podcast.somedervisplaygames.com or somedervisplaygames at gmail.com uh you can follow twitch.tv slash somedervisplaygames um uh like us on itunes leave us ratings uh, and reviews. We love all of it. Um, that's everything I had. But did you have anything else you want to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. Uh, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.